0: I've never been good at anything that's useful to to society or other people. Oh, so, so, yeah. so that would be pretty exciting. I can talk. Yeah, we can all talk. We'll that's think, what we're we we doing here. We can talk. <laughs> we can, I can write uh, like I'm writing furiously now because on this podcast I've been telling people to go to my website to read my writing. And then I realized I hadn't put anything new up in like a year. Nah. I, uh,
1: I can beat Mega Man 2 without losing all my lives. I can't do it on one life yet though.
0: Yo, Hollow Knight is yeah. the shit, man. It is oh, man. one of the greatest games I've ever played in my life. I'm about I'm just starting to get sick of it and I've put about 60 hours into oh, it in the last couple weeks. I've I've been playing it a I'm lot more
1: slowly, uh, a lot more slowly, but uh, it's it's incredible.
0: I'm up to you can get uh 112% is the most complete you can get i'm at 83 and i'm about to fight the last boss and i'm like oh it's good i don't need to check out the rest
2: yeah i just i don't know how to make time for video games at this point in my life it's been so long
0: (laughs) i i do it while i'm listening to podcasts so i tell so i tell myself that i'm being efficient in combining my two hobbies my two main hobbies and so The same way and like the same way that like I'll practice guitar while me and Laura watching TV. And it's the reason she'll eventually divorce me. But then I still maintain some of my skills,
2: vocal exercises and wrestling on low volume. Oh, yeah. A big part of my life.
0: We were roommates. I remember you doing Uh, that. You're listening to (laughs) Testing Wrestling, the podcast where we talk about the things that people love and that other people, me mostly. Don't care for about the world's most prominent form of simulated combat. My name is Evan Burke. I'm a writer. This is part two of our first two-part series. So go back and listen to part one if you haven't. I reached a point in this story of learning about wrestling where I needed to just deal with the fact that I, I didn't know anything about Hulk Hogan outside of, you know, I uh, I saw Mr. Nanny when I was a kid.
2: The immortal. <clears throat> Hulk Hogan. The
0: I mean, he is still alive. Nobody has slain him successfully yet. So I asked my two co-hosts to put together a, I thought it'd be fun to do like a two-part, of like, oh, part one is the 80s and part two is the 90s. And I thought that would make a nice arc. And basically, I it has erased whatever goodwill towards wrestling I had because I fucking hate Hulk Hogan. This is dumb. This whole enterprise was dumb. I feel like I was suckered into liking some matches before, and then it's I've to only to have the mask torn away
2: and the true pulsating face of wrestling beneath it. I will say one thing about Hulk Hogan. In the last few years, due to his recent infamy, he has very much been kind of excised from the wrestling landscape on every level you know not just that he wasn't there but i you know the new fans who have come into it in the last few years haven't heard of him his role in the mythology has been removed to a degree that is really good for wrestling as an as an entity they're bringing him back though they they are bringing him back but he comes out and he doesn't get huge pops right he comes out and he's just another one of the old guys to
0: be fair if you find out that somebody who you used to work with not only is a deeply racially insensitive guy, but was used as a tool by an insane billionaire to destroy a publication that he didn't care for in open defiance <laughs> of the concept of press freedom. And it's uh, that's not
2: great. And don't forget, you know, there's Terry Bollea,
1: Right, who, there's Terry who, pr-
2: you know, did all of that. Hulk Hogan and not Terry Bollea we've learned through all of those proceedings has a 10-inch penis. Hulk, H- Hulk Hogan has a 10-inch penis. According to Terry Bollea's testimony, Hulk Hogan has a 10-inch penis but not Terry Bollea. Not
0: Terry Bollea does not. Okay. No. I mean I guess that I, that makes that makes sense that your fictional self that would be depressing if, like, my fictional self actually can't. My fictional self feels worse about his body than I do about mine. That'd be terrible. What a horrible fantasy. But,
2: but I have a real point with that, which is that, for especially for wrestling fans, I think there's part of me that wants to separate the Hulk Hogan character from the actual person, Terry Bollea, to some degree. Because even though the Hulk Hogan character in itself is monstrous and disgusting in some ways, there's at least part of it that I think is a positive well, it's very force entertaining. in the world that i mean you know training and taking your vitamins aren't bad things saying your prayers you know i can take them or leave them but if he really was that character that embodied those things and fought for them um you know that that isn't you know i have some kind of positive uh, some affinity for that character still
0: You know, I guess I've never really thought about this before, but I would imagine that every wrestler really does have a wildly different relationship with their character. I imagine that it's all... For some, it's a projection of their fantasy. For some, it's something that they think is hilarious. For some, it's, I don't know, honoring something that they... For some, it's a character that was just assigned to them by the promoter. The more you have to live it, the more complicated I'm sure it becomes for you. So I could see Hulk Hogan, I could see Terry Bollea having a more complicated relationship with his character than any other wrestler by far. Because even uh, the more popular wrestler, historically, The Rock, I feel like The Rock's character was not actually very different from The Rock himself.
2: Uh, You'd be hard-pressed to find a difference now, especially. I'd say someone like The Undertaker probably has a very strange relationship with their character where you know they had to protect the character for so long and had to spend so much time in it being so supernatural and odd as well i don't know i don't know what kind of effect that has on you psychologically
0: i could also see that being easier in some ways because the undertaker is he can hide behind that you know what i mean he's he's this great silent figure and it's all you know it's it's all based on his physicality and his brooding expression and his mysteriousness. And that's something you can hide behind. Whereas Hulk Hogan, I mean, Terry Bollea is in there somewhere. Somewhere I don't know. I don't, who knows where the line is or something, but there is, I bet when you hang out with the undertaker at the bar, there's not that much undertaker, the character present.
2: We also saw, I think more what actual undertaker is like eventually when he, and, and we, we have a lot more to say about The Undertaker, I suppose. But when he transformed from the cartoonish zombie character to like the biker and he was just like, oh, this is actually who I am. And there was some sort of continuity between that and the zombie because, you know, the uh, macabre elements of both, I guess. It made
1: sense at the time. Oh, did we finish
0: doing introductions? We did no. not. Here. Yeah. Yeah. Doc, what's your deal?
1: My name is Doc Diamondfire. Uh, I've been in uh, professional wrestling on one level or another for over a decade now. Um, I'm primarily doing ring announcing and commentating. And uh, I want to do this podcast because uh, I respect Evan. I respect Ben. And uh, I I like a fresh take on these things that that have been analyzed to death by people who have seen it a million times.
2: I'm Dr. Ben Abelson. I'm a professor of philosophy at Mercy College. I've watched a lot of wrestling over the years and probably thought spent too much of my mental energy thinking about it. And so I have some things to say. This is the 90s of Hulk Hogan.
0: Um, I mean, of everybody. We all were in the 90s. That's how time works. But right. we're dealing with the 90s era of Hulk Hogan. Uh, so
2: some of this happened when Doc and I were already watching wrestling. which was, We both started
1: independently of each other. Sometime around 1992. Okay, and the first match that
0: we watched is from 1990. Yes, yes.
2: So uh, th- still felt like ancient history, yeah. uh, from my perspective as a fan in '92 and beyond.
0: Uh, what are the details for these three matches?
1: So uh, we have we have Hulk Hogan versus the Ultimate Warrior, and we have Hulk Hogan versus the Ultimate Warrior.
2: Yeah, so we have our good match is Hulk Hogan versus the Ultimate Warrior. Oh, that's the good the match. The first time they met at WrestleMania six mm. in nineteen ninety and in Toronto Sky Dome. Oh, that's that was good. They did it in Canada. I yeah. I oh, think- I, it was in Canada. <laughs> I didn't notice Robert Goulet. Singing O Canada at the beginning of this. I think they had to do it in Canada because of what the finish of the match was, but I'll talk about that later. Because it was uh, illegal
0: in America to pay two guys to fucking play Mercy for 20 minutes
1: to the screams of children. You can say that that match is a little slow, but if you look uh, at... The people were with them for every basic motion. No, I mean,
2: people were into it. Every basic motion. So we'll get into it. We'll fight about that in a little bit. Yes. Yes. Then we wanted Evan to see um, the transition of Hogan from the babyface character to the heel that he played for the rest of the 90s from 96 on. Uh, So we watched the match from WCW Bash at the Beach 1996. Uh, which started out as Randy Savage, Sting, and Lex Luger against the outsiders of Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, and then their mysterious third-man tag team partner, who turns out to be Hogan. And then the promo after that, which is uh, very significant in wrestling history, establishing the new world order of wrestling. And then our bad match is Hogan facing the Warrior for the second time. Now, eight years later, 1998, WCW Halloween Havoc.
0: I will say for that match, the character of Hollywood Hogan makes so much more sense to me than the character of Hulk Hogan that as much as I still did not care for the actual wrestling in any of these matches, the last match was a breath of fresh air Ah. because once he had been recontextualized as a villain for me, Doing basically all the same shit he always did, just a little bit worse. I f- it resonated in a sense where I was like, "Yes, I can dig my teeth into this villain." Whereas in the earlier the earlier matches, the stuff from the eighties, like it's very threatening. He's very threatening for a good guy. I get that it was the eighties and we were like, you know, Rambo was a hero, even though like, especially I don't know if it happened in the movie, but in the book, I mean, he's just shooting cops, like, and then which <laughs> I mean is you know, there's a buck. Rambo is based on a book. The first Rambo is actually based on a book. Yeah, um, first blood. But um, and I so and it's and he's just like I don't know, horrifying and angry and like and it, it makes sense once he is a villain,
2: right? Yeah, no, totally. It's amazing that they had Bobby Heenan on commentary for the heel turn. Because Heenan's like, what have I been telling you all these years? You yeah. know, he's always said Hogan's a fraud and you know he doesn't actually believe any of the stuff he preaches and he, he's actually the bad guy and he's a hypocrite and this and that. And then he showed that that was the case. He proved Heenan right. He did. It's amazing.
0: So I'm going to talk about cultural appropriation twice during this uh, episode. Uh, my first point is that I think that culturally, if you look back through media, um, white people stole the idea to have a nice butt from J-Lo in 1998, right? And because if you look, no, nobody, there were no nice butts in the 80s. Nobody had a nice butt in the 80s. And watching all the 80s wrestling, I was expecting to see some nice butts, and I'm like, Did, were, were, was nobody doing squats? Was this all because like they had leg machines that somehow didn't activate the glutes? I don't know what's going on, right? But then this last match, I'm like, oh, shit, like, Hogan, you can actually kind of see Hulk Hogan's ass for the first time in a way that was, you know, where it was, like, a little more shapely. And then I looked it up, and this match did take place four months after the release of Out of Sight.
2: Oh, there you go. So my theory is still, is still holding. I cannot contest your theory. Except to say <laughs> that I think if you look before the 80s and, like, the Vince and Hogan era of wrestlers, you'll probably see bodies that are more, like, Human shaped and like evenly strong throughout, whereas you know in that particular era they were all very you know top heavy and show had like a very you know like largest arms
1: in the world as Hogan repeatedly said really brings that
2: up a
0: lot yeah Uh, in the context of matches with guys who are larger than him and
2: he has twenty four inch pythons.
1: He, he always claimed are. that, and, like, you'd see over his career, his arms get bigger and smaller
2: depending on what shape he was in. They were always 24 inches. He, uh, in 1994, when he went to WCW, he uh, toned down a lot, and he got really skinny. He lost, like, 50 pounds or something like that. And then he ended up, when he turned heel, he toned up again. He bulked right he back up. He bulked up, up uh, yeah. He bulked down to do movies, you know. And also- and he did. Yeah, it seemed like oh, this is a good thing for a guy who's aging, you know, to yeah. do. But he still had a few more years where he needed to be on top and he would oh, have those. He bulked right back pythons. up to
1: 300 pounds as soon as uh, as soon as it became profitable for him to look like a cartoon villain again. So, all right, the first match, uh Hogan Warrior, yeah. I knew that
0: there was a guy called the Ultimate Warrior. Yeah. That is the extent of the knowledge I had about this man. So it starts, and, like, I try not to read up on any of this before we get here so I can ask you questions and shit, but I uh, I, I, had, I, had to go to the Ultimate Warrior's w- Wikipedia page and learn something about him, because I'm like, so here's the second place where we're going to talk about the concept of cultural appropriation, uh, which isn't the only reason that I hate this guy, but... I, like, he comes out, and it's like a child's idiot version of uh, of a Native American, right? That's what
1: he's going for? I, I would kind say of. so. Kind of, anyway. Really, he was just a giant, muscular uh, steroid freak who painted his face and well, screamed incoherently. Yeah, he looks, And it was great. <laughs> he looks <laughs> Until like... Until he started wrestling.
0: It takes him ten minutes to get to a point... Not ten minutes, I guess. Towards the end of the match, I feel like he looks like he has... Come to really regret making such an energetic character, yeah, because he has to go around pumping his fists. He has and to collecting run spiritual energy, that
2: incredibly long distance to the ring. He's totally blown up by the time he gets yeah. there. I'm yeah. sure. Like, how could t- you not be?
0: And he's too large. Like once again, he's another guy who is too huge
1: to really move very smoothly. Here's here's how I like to put the Ultimate Warrior in context. Like, if Hulk Hogan is the embodiment of like the the neon '80s up till that point. Uh, the ultimate warrior is the human embodiment of that little period right at the end where they take the 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 neon uh, everything and just start slapping a bunch of other crap on it to make it shinier and were louder and like you put on 3d glasses and it shows something else ultimately there's not much soul behind all of that but it was the logical conclusion to everything that had happened before which is why as a good guy warrior started getting bigger reactions than Hogan and Vince noticed and they were like oh okay, maybe we can do this as the big passing of the torch match between Hogan and Warrior, and it worked very well. I see why you don't like it. It's very slow. You don't like slow matches.
0: Now, and I will say, once again, like I said last episode, despise the actual wrestling here, hate the style, hate, uh, I feel like I can extrapolate a personal hatred for everybody involved. Promos,
1: amazing. Amazing. Oh, you could watch promos. Ultimate Warrior promos all day.
0: I could watch. Seriously, like I was blown away. He shoves the guy aside and s- says, "You're nothing but a normal." <laughs> right. <laughs> and instantly, I'm like, "Okay,
2: there." This is a baby th- face, by the way. <laughs> they're yeah. both. They're both good guys, and but that was the attitude at the time.
0: I had to say, like I, as much as it's. A cobbled together racist caricature. He also has a mythology. He clearly has a mythology and a, a language and a, and a whole like system of belief that once again is like a thin, shallow puddle, but it's wide. Yeah. I can tell he's got some things he's put. He clearly really believes this. Oh yes. And then later on in life, he went on to be like a homophobic Tony Rob- a more homophobic
2: Tony Robbins. He died mysteriously, right? So he finally mended ties with the WWE after being at odds with them for many years. The relationship between them was so bad that the WWE actually put out a DVD called The Self-Destruction of the Ultimate Warrior that was basically just a hit piece. They got everybody to say the worst shit they could possibly say about him.
1: Whoa! So the question was, how did Warrior die? So it was a hit piece. They filmed a hitman killing him. That's what I. <laughs> no, no, okay. I no. was
0: right in episode one. He is a
1: professional murderer. No, but no, uh, no, you, you are. You are not, <laughs> um, You are correct to start there, though. I'm so, sorry. Go on. Yeah.
2: So then the Warrior. He finally they uh, made good, made peace. Vince and the Warrior. Warrior comes in. They put him in the Hall of Fame it's a big emotional thing. He gives a big speech. Everybody loves it. They put out this uh documentary about him that's very uh laudatory. Then um he comes out on Monday night raw the next night, gives an even more emotional speech, um, and then goes to the airport and dies, like yeah, collapses on ho- the way to the airport. On the
1: way to his hotel, I believe. And like it's he dies dead. like that night. Uh probably I don't think they released the very specifics, probably of a heart attack something like that.
0: I it seems like there is a point at which like you should try to r- stay in shape as you get older. Yeah. There's an ocean of scientific evidence to suggest that regular exercise is good for as long as you can physically do it. Uh but it there's got to be a point at which staying that ripped and like, and not, and not just ripped like bulky, because it's not like he's shredded. Yeah, he is just he is a big dude. He once again, like I can see the bodybuilding influence here. Oh, in very the, much in the poses in the way they fight, in just the way he carries himself.
2: He seemed to take way worse care of himself than even Hogan that entire time. Like, you can see the difference between their bodies in the 1990 match and the 1998 match. Like, Hogan had, like, bulked down and then bulked up, but he still looks, like, pretty solid. Um, The warrior, his skin looks like it's crumbling in a weird way. He looks
0: like he both did more steroids and more cocaine.
2: Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, I I believe
1: uh, that. I wouldn't I wouldn't doubt it. I mean,
0: like I guess maybe he's one of those guys that's just naturally got that kind of like manic, aggressive, violent energy. Oh, sure. But uh, um
1: mean, th- th- he was in there, that's for sure. But uh and I mean, I can't tell you exactly how many drugs he did over what period of time, but you know, he wasn't taking Why care then why himself. are you, you here? Tell, well, I, to, 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 lend my, to lend my expertise on the general subject. <laughs> I need uh, charts. Should drugs charts. Good luck. I don't think they kept the records of all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, you could tell because he would run to the ring and already be out of breath. He didn't do anything but, you know, chest press and shoulder press all day long. And uh, it made his body look very, very impressive.
2: But, yeah, he was not the,
1: the athlete several of his it contemporaries even,
2: were. It even kind of looks like shit when he gorilla presses Hogan. In the 1990 match.
1: Well, people complain, like people like Bobby Heaton and so go on and complain that when he did the gorilla press, he didn't really know how to do it. He'd just grab you by the nuts and the neck and just press you above his head and drop you. Whereas there's a way to do it so that you don't have to do almost any of that and it looks better. So, yeah, the, the actual
2: wrestling of this match. Yeah. It's iconic, right? It's It's them acting out this sort of um Superman versus Superman 2. Mythological battle, yeah. And and they really to me like the the craft of the match is in the parody, is in keeping them sort of perfectly even yeah. the entire time until the end where Hogan makes one mistake, misses the leg drop, warrior gets the splash and wins. And then there's the all the other like um questionable moments like when the ref is out and one of them gets a uh, pinfall, uh, or could have gotten a pinfall, possibly if the ref had been up. And then they do it back and forth, and they vary it enough so it's not like exactly the same thing, but it's par- They keep that parody. Would you? Did you enjoy this match as children? Oh, absolutely. It when was I, when I saw it. Yeah, it was the mat. It was exactly sort of what I envisioned in my head when I thought, like, oh, Hogan's gonna fight the Warrior. Like, how how could they do anything to each other? They're both so powerful. Right. I I did get
0: a feeling from it that even though it was taking place in 1990 and this kind of – and this style of wrestling have been going for a while, it did feel like a platonic ideal of a certain style of wrestling and a certain conception of wrestling.
2: The one that there's a fail – we watched a failed version of, I think, uh, actually – we could say that about two different matches that we watched undertaker versus roman reigns which was you know was not the passing of the torch that hogan warrior really was at least for the moment until they realized that warrior couldn't really carry it but they did sort of successfully pass it uh unlike in the undertaker reigns match and then also like the brock lesnar goldberg match where it was like you know these two unstoppable forces or you know, immovable object versus irresistible force kind of things where there's these two titans colliding. But I thought that, you know, in the Lesnar-Goldberg case, it was a failure, unlike in this one.
0: I had the distinct feeling that if I had seen this as a child, I would have really enjoyed it. Yeah. And not in a, like, kids like dumb shit kind of way, but in a, like, oh, all right, I can actually see how this is telling a physical story in a way that a child would enjoy.
2: And and they made good on it and had a real finish. Like you, you also have to realize as a wrestling fan, like that was kind of rare that you'd actually see the match between the two biggest guys, both top baby faces and there would be a clean finish where one went over the other and ha- was both champions and undisputed and shit like that's
1: epic. Like think about that from a business sense, especially from what we know about Hogan you know, he went into the match knowing, all right, I'm going to I'm going to lose. It's going to be very even, but at the end of the match, Warrior looks better than I do. And it's my job to make sure that happens, then he takes my title, and then I get I and then I hug him, raise his hand, get on the podium, look sad and get carried off the loser. You know, he had to do that and trust that it wasn't the end of himself.
2: From the guy who did what he did to Randy Savage the year previous. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, uh, oh man. What would have wrestling history been like if Savage had beaten Hogan at WrestleMania 5 and like he had lost to Warrior at WrestleMania 6? Yeah. Or not? Or, you know, I don't know. I can see the
0: value there. I can see yeah. the history of it. That said, this kind of felt like two guys getting paid a bananas amount of money to play Mercy. Or do the fucking hug again. Every fucking match we watched had a hug in it, like a multi-minute hug.
1: This one might have had the longest.
0: On a stage with an audience. They went back and forth with
2: it. Yeah. Yeah especially Um, the the knuckle lock was you know the the greco-roman knuckle lock or test of strength
1: but look i'm gonna defend that we all know as mercy i'm definitely gonna defend that in terms of just the performance of it they lock their fingers they go at each other they hit each other in the chest for 20 seconds and once again i'll point to the audience that they're performing for when ho when it becomes clear that hogan drops to one knee 60,000 people are on their feet. Oh my God, Hulk Hogan just dropped to his knees. This guy is on top of him. And by the way, neither of these guys are falling on their heads. Neither of these guys are breaking their necks. Think about it it, like it's
2: Thanos versus Galactus. And instead of just being locked with their knuckles, they have like energy beams that they're holding each other off with. You know what I mean? They're still, they're not doing anything more really um, that's how it felt as a fan, you know?
1: And there's a relatable part to it. As much as these are crazy characters, like, you've played Mercy. You know what it's like when someone's pushing at you. <laughs> oh, I, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I People guess. People
2: wanted it, to know who was stronger. For a second, it looked like Warrior was stronger. Then it looked like Hogan was stronger. I still can't defend the hugs. Yeah, yeah. no, the bear hug always sucked. Yeah. Always <laughs> sucked.
1: They do it closer to the end of the match when it looks like Warrior's starting to heat up, and then he goes, ah, and starts hugging Hogan. Like, oh, come on, man. You're starting to actually build some momentum, and now you're hugging Hogan. But he was probably out of breath, you know? Yeah, I,
0: I, I mean, I, I see now laid bare is the philosophical question at the heart of the podcast, which is at what point does it not fucking matter if you like something, right? You can hate it all you want, you can internet culture can make fun of Nickelback for years, right? But then, yeah. like I'm like when I talk to my uncle, who's just a normal fucking guy, doing his thing, and I'm like, oh, what bands are you listening to? And he's like, you know, Metallica, and Nickelback, and I'm like, oh, right, because he doesn't know that there's this whole thing where you're supposed to hate them, and it's like, yeah. and it's infused with class stuff, it's actually and quite all toxic. this dumb shit, and yeah. it's terrible, and da da da. And I do feel that my dislike of wrestling is more justified than the internet's dislike of Nickelback. But I don't know. But also, I'm wrong. Like that's the thing. Like this is where yeah, I- I'm definitely. so torn. I'm so torn because because it's also look. it's also the way where like you know, as the older I get, the more I want to be understanding of things. The more I am empathetic of things. The less I hate anything. Like I yeah. don't, you know, I don't hate. Music uh, that I like I used to. I, you know, I mean, not that I hate it all. I hate just, war. You know I, mean. I
1: hate cancer. I yeah. don't hate a band because I'm not going to listen to them voluntarily.
0: I was angry, I guess, mostly at myself for watching this and being like, I made this commitment, didn't I? <laughs> I this was my fucking idea to get together and do this and now I'm going to spend a lot of my life yep. watching something that I don't enjoy. And sometimes that fan passion is so strong that I also can feel it. And then sometimes I'm just fucking watching two guys play Mercy in the 80s.
2: This match, you know, I do like it, and I enjoyed watching it again, and maybe a lot of that is nostalgia. I do see things that are valuable in it. It is not a match that I would ever show to someone who I wanted to show the virtues of wrestling who hadn't asked you You to
0: put together matches for a two-parter
2: about hulk hogan that we talked for two hours about yeah
0: sure. exactly (laughs) like
2: just about anybody um so i would not hold it up as an example of what i love about pro wrestling and i think it's worse because it is so representative of pro wrestling to the common person Even now, when people think of wrestling, they think of, you know, the WWF. They think of, really, the 80s heyday, Hulk Hogan, that kind of thing. As much good as it did for developing the wrestling industry, it did a lot of harm to the image of wrestling. There's a lot of pro wrestling that's very different from that, and we've already seen a bunch of it in this podcast, and we're going to continue to show you all sorts of stuff from across the spectrum that, you know, isn't really anything like that. The Hogan stuff.
0: And I think maybe... The reason that the other stuff that I have seen that I maybe didn't like but didn't fucking just grind me down like this did is that it feels like and this is maybe just true of the 80s in general, I guess that there is a lack of earnestness like no not 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 a lack of earnestness.
2: like it's I a guess naive, a, a lack, it's a naivete in a certain way I think like,
0: a, a naivete that is an artificiality. I think, um, from the performers where even if they are very passionate about it, it's I guess it's still so, it's so much artifice. It's so artificial. And
2: I, I feel like it I, was a lot easier in a sense. Like there these industries weren't quite as competitive. If you had a big bodybuilder body or whatever, you could just kind of do it. In rock and roll, if you like just could play guitar and buy, you know, wear cool looking clothes or whatever. You could kind of start a band that was successful. If you were a stand up comic and you're just willing to go on the road with a set, like you could just kind of do it. So people weren't so focused on like, oh, I got to grind, I got to grind, I got to hustle, I got to really train and work really hard to be better than everybody in these like sort of skillful ways. It was more like, how can I just be. Make myself as big and as loud and noticeable as possible.
0: You know, it it also it's it's kind of like the broad difference between DC and Marvel, maybe. Where and I haven't you are a million times the comic book reader that I am, so I'm sure I'm going to make a, an offensive broad generalization here. My period of time. As reading,
2: long as it's in favor of Marvel and against DC. <laughs> oh yeah, I didn't.
0: Well, it. no, it is. But, well, because the the essential problem, it's part of why the DC movies are bad or something. Is that the one of the essential problems is that. DC's characters are older and are from a time when there was a level of simplicity that you could have. That was like myths, where like a lot of like characters in myths are not necessarily deep and complex, and maybe they say a lot of complex things about humans, but the characters themselves are pretty thin. And you know, and then Marvel Stan Lee had the amazing idea of let's give our characters two or more dimensions <laughs> right. as opposed to just having the one batman is the has always been the most interesting dc character because just sort of by accident he wound up with sort of some conflicting interesting things in his story in his backstory that people later figured out you could exploit to make an interesting character and so maybe it's sort of like this is a this is this elemental form of wrestling this is this is vince mcmahon learning about how to make an audience interested maybe yeah this... I
2: mean I do see I do think of wrestling as having gone through a kind of nascent like childhood period with the WWF mm. and that it's only really starting to grow out of now um, and you know we've talked about this I think a little bit earlier in the podcast how the the develop the maturity of wrestling kind of mirrored, our development as well, mm-hmm. like yeah. the attitude era happened when we were going through adolescence and so on and so forth. Well, Vince
1: McMahon would call it sports entertainment. He said, like, my wrestling, that's what my father made. Starting in the 80s, he started making sports entertainment. So it makes sense that that would be the infancy of that, you know, if you want to consider it separate from what, you know, the rest of wrestling was at that point.
2: And I think it can move even farther away from sports entertainment maybe like some kind of art you know would yeah. be the next stage of its development
0: could you maybe argue that you know in this period in the 80s it's sort of the dc era of characters that are one dimensional they have one general flavor or something like that and then wrestling was stuck in the 80s for about 16 years right the wrestling 80s lasted about 16 years then wrestling finally enters the 90s sometime in the late 90s And we enter the era of two character traits. You've got anti-hero, like actual anti-heroes for the first time. You've got old characters you used to love turning into heels all of a sudden. You've got, I mean, that had happened before, obviously, but like there, there was perhaps an effort to have a new dimension of characters and then wrestling was stuck in the nineties for another sixteen years. One of
2: the big things that happened during that period that we should talk about, especially for this episode, was the I guess fourth wall breaking kind of thing that started happening. You started to see more of like the backstage and the lines started to blur between like the self-contained wrestling worlds and reality especially like with the NWO, WCW was selling the NWO as if it was an infiltration from the WWF uh, that had been planned years in advance. And it was Hogan and now it was Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. So they were playing with the borders of reality in ways that they hadn't before
1: WWF and WCW would largely ignore each other's existence when they were competing before this. WWF especially would never want to acknowledge that there was any wrestling that didn't exist that they didn't put together. And They know that you, know, you could acknowledge that they were, but like even when established wrestlers would come in from outside, they'd usually give them a new name and a new gimmick and not reference almost anything they'd ever done. Uh, this isn't, wasn't a hard and fast rule, but most of the time, And that's what made it so interesting when, you know, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash showed up in WCW and Scott Hall's first, you know, he just he debuts by coming in through the audience during a match. He just gets in the ring and the people in the ring act like this, like they just leave. They don't attack him. They don't acknowledge him. There's like, oh, and they just go and he gets the microphone and he says, you know who I am, but you don't know why I'm here. And that was a revolution in and of itself. And within a month or two, they had this match where they needed a third guy. And after Hall and Nash, who were two of the biggest stars in the WWF at the time, left, people were thinking, well, who could the third person be? Is it another person from the
2: WWF? There were a few people that, like, it could have been. I just wanted to riff off something that Doc was saying about... The sort of rules, the like unspoken rules in wrestling and like how the promotions relate to each other. They wouldn't mention each other. You know, they don't you don't say people's real names. Right. They're all sort of implied by kayfabe and by the fact that it's a sort of fictional enterprise. But that's part of what promoters do to sort of mess with the fans and play with their disbelief. And, like, try to get you to think, oh, well, maybe this kind of thing is real by sort of breaking one of those unspoken rules. And the rules are ironclad enough that they feel like, you know, absolute laws to a fan. So any kind of transgression of them feels sort of dangerous and, you know, and unpredictable.
1: So when Hogan comes out, it's presumed, at least supposedly presumed, that he's there to fight Hall and Nash. He'd been the top good guy in WCW for a few years almost since he had left the WWF. There were a few months there where he actually wasn't wrestling. Um, And then he turns on WCW, and it made sense. He wasn't the same superstar in WCW that he was in the WWF. A lot of the hardcore WCW fans who pointedly watched that company for years because they didn't like Hulk Hogan, and they didn't like the WWF cartoon wrestling, didn't accept la- Hulk Hogan coming in, bringing in all his friends, and beating Flair now, right? Beating Ric Flair, who's somebody we've talked about very little on this show, and we're gonna have to get to at some point. And he comes in and he just turns on WCW, and then he cuts that Immortal promo where, yeah, he talks about real life. He says, you know, Ted Turner promised me movies and a lot of money, and he—I don't think he's delivered. So I'm the show now.
0: I actually, I had, a, I had a question about that. Yeah. So at
1: what point?
0: Um, like what year did Vince start coming out as I'm also I'm Vince McMahon, the owner of WWF? Late ninety
2: seven. What and when, television and yes. when did this happen? Mid ninety six. So all, all that stuff with Vince and the screw job and yeah. Austin and stuff, is WWF desperately trying to survive when WCW is beating them in the ratings because of the NWO? Interesting. It's the only
1: time since the WWF became the biggest wrestling company that another wrestling company was bigger than it for any period of time. About a year and a half, WCW was on top. And because you were right, the WWF extended the 80s as long as they possibly could go. And when WCW brought itself into the 90s with some more interesting storytelling, everybody just flocked to them.
0: When he starts addressing Ted Turner, like aside from the obvious Marxist undertones, I really was impressed by I was like oh this is the first time like this must be where Vince finally realized there can be no greater villain than the guy who owns
2: the goddamn network well actually so Hogan calls him billionaire Ted and says a couple of other things he calls Mean Gene Okerlund scheme Gene I think Scott Hall did they got that so earlier that year desperate to like get back at WCW, WWF launches these sketches, these billionaire Ted sketches, where they totally like satire Ted Turner and they have the huckster. And the Nacho Man. Two and the really old guys dressed as Hogan and Savage. They have walkers, and they, they had a geriatric match at WrestleMania between them. Which
1: was pre-recorded. They didn't do it in front of the audience.
2: The match was mostly them getting in the ring
1: and then falling over and having heart
2: attacks. So Vince had already made Ted Turner into a villain through that. And the fact that Hogan was referencing WWF content, referencing WCW content, it was just, yeah, the war was fucking on.
0: So it seems like the fourth wall breaking, it seems like wrestling exposed itself as meta and took advantage of that relatively quickly in a relatively short period and of time.
2: By the way, the progenitor of all of that was ECW. Really with uh, Brian Pillman, who we, we're going to have to talk about a while ago, his like leaving We WCW. are going to have to go into the past. <laughs> And Brian talk about Pillman, <laughs> who we're going to have to talk about sometime in the future.
0: <laughs> we have that power. This is we why do. you should support us on
1: Patreon, because we have the power to unlock the time <laughs> tunnels. Go, uh, go back in time and talk to Pillman himself. I don't know if I'd believe him, whatever he says.
0: I found the ancient stones when my father left me in the forest
1: as a child. <laughs> <laughs> so ECW was the first one to really start. Yeah. They, they started showing stuff backstage and referencing the other promotions and like they were referencing the that, booker. Yeah, referencing the Booker. They'd have people who were recently fired from the WWF and WCW on their show to, like, cut promos against their former employers. And if you knew how to see ECW, this was incredible, (laughs) you know. Then they got Steve Austin after he left WCW complaining that Hulk Hogan had shown up and was taking the top spots and, like, they don't see him (laughs) as anybody. And he's, like, doing his Hogan impression. If you were watching ECW, you're like, I didn't know Steve Austin had any charisma.
2: Oh, and mm. it, as it turns out, <laughs> he did pretty well for himself. With Brian Pillman, he was in WCW, and Eric Bischoff, who was the architect behind the whole NWO thing, and you, you got a little moment between him and Hulk Hogan if oh, you watch the promo I, uh, well, I, on I w- Halloween Havoc. I um, saw that, yeah. I, I have a comment about Eric Bischoff. but yeah, I, yeah, so he worked something out with Brian Pillman that was supposed to be sort of a work... Within WCW, he fired Brian Pillman with the understanding that he was going to come back and it was going to be part of the storyline, but they were just working together and they didn't tell anybody else. And then Pillman just ended up going and signing, going to ECW, which is where he was supposed to go, and like referencing Eric Bischoff and cutting promos against him and whatever. And then he just went and signed with the WWF. Like he totally worked Bischoff and WCW himself.
1: Yeah, they gave him a real release. He's like, it's gotta be real or else they'll find out it's not real. So they gave him a real release and then he just signed with with Vince.
0: I I get a real like B or C level energy from Eric Bischoff. Like he kind of (laughs) my first thought was Eric Bischoff looks like every favorite band you've ever had that they their singer leaves for one album because they need to go to rehab or something, and the band gets a singer and makes a kinda not as good album and then everybody forgets about it, and then the old <laughs> singer comes back. Eric Bischoff looks like every one-album singer ever. That's that's like, interesting. He looks like the singer from Talk Show. Yeah. Uh, or he kind of looks like John Karabi. Yeah. Um, <laughs>
2: Talk show was the first thing I thought of when you said that. Yeah.
0: That. Uh, well, yeah. There's. I feel like they said. Yeah. I know. Also, nobody Googled that. Well, I watched the guy from Talk Show look
2: totally different B- from Eric Bischoff. I'm pretty sure. He, I'm pretty sure he looks nothing like
0: him. I feel like everybody in the '90s looked like that for a period of time. Um.
2: Yeah. I. Uh, that, that was your comment on Bischoff. That was the that one. Was that it? was the
0: one feeling I had about uh, Eric
2: Bischoff.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Is there more to him? He's a he's an interesting figure. I mean, he was in charge of WCW for years. Brought WCW to the peak and, and helped drive it into the ground. And he wasn't the only reason it got driven into the ground. By the time Hogan Warrior II was happening, uh, so here's a little bit of a timeline. WCW uh, became really big in 96. In 97, it had like this crazy banner business year. In 98, they were still doing business, but the WWF was doing better business. And WCW's business started to go down.
2: When did the WWF start beat start beating them?
1: Sometime in 98.
2: Yeah, but yeah. so before Halloween Havoc.
1: Well, before Halloween Havoc, I believe. Uh, but the as soon as the WWF started beating them again, like they they went nuts. They were like, we have to do better. WWF was always concentrating on their product mostly. WCW was always focused on the WWF product and how can they do better. And it went down creatively. It went downhill so quickly and so sharply for a few years until it like was was uh, until it went out of business. And you can see the beginnings of that with Hogan and Warrior. Um, it really started when they messed up the Hogan Sting match about uh, ten months before that, and it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And it would get much worse than this. Um, it's, it's like you ever, you ever worse. you know, see a TV show that was great, and then like all of a sudden, creatively, it just falls off a cliff. And like this is like it gets to be three seasons after that
2: deep.
0: They just they just keep it going for way way too long, and it's like now you're retroactively making the early seasons bad.
2: And they've got five hours of TV a week to work with, you know. Yes. Yeah, that yeah.
0: yeah, I still can't get over that.
2: I
1: consider Hogan right. Warrior too to be like uh, an out of practice tribute man's act to the first Hogan Warrior.
0: Well, yeah, they like, look. Hogan, I will say, Hogan looks invigorated yeah. in a way that, like, this is part of the, like, oh, this this character feels more natural to me, makes a lot more sense to me. Um, he was wrestling he, a
1: couple times a month instead of five times a week.
0: That's the, he, he seems happier. He looks like, before this, he had looked tired. Now he looks tired in a, a way that's, like, age-appropriate, right. sort of. Like, he doesn't look that bad. Warrior looks fucking terrible. I feel like you shouldn't be in that kind of shape for very long.
2: Hogan kind of revels in being in so much better shape than the warrior in the yeah. match. Too, he like pulls out his couple of little like technical wrestling, chain wrestling spots, and <laughs> warrior just like was makes lost. warrior look like a fool. Yeah,
1: because Hogan can do some like slick wrestling moves. He never really had to
2: You see it more in his Japan work. Yeah. yeah,
1: he toured Japan a couple times, and you can see him do it there because it was style appropriate for that audience. But his fans wanted to see him just punch and you know suck air, so he did. Um, but, yeah, he made Warrior look like an idiot because Warrior couldn't do any of that.
2: I felt bad showing you this match. I mean, I for various reasons, but specifically. <laughs> I'm glad. That makes me feel better. But, well, I mean, I don't really feel bad. But specifically, I feel bad for this thing that um, you the first wrestling fireball you saw was a co- total oh, Yeah, botch. What the fuck was that? <laughs> I yeah Hogan like drops all the materials out in front of him like doesn't even make any effort to hide any of it it's just like flash paper and a lighter um and then like does the fireball but does it way too far away from warrior's face and it looks terrible I
0: just like I I I couldn't understand what he was trying to do I couldn't understand what that at one point they were just like oh did he just try to light him on fire and I'm like is this a
1: thing is this a thing fireball spot is uh, when done correctly, it's a grand shock, and you get some flash paper and a lighter, and you you like you put it in your hand, you light the flash paper, and then you put your hand like under where you want the fire to go, and the fire goes up, and it burns out immediately. And if you do it at someone's face, they can sail up and out like, oh no, you've got me in the eyes. Uh, people would, you know, Jerry Lawler used to do it occasionally. It was big in the territories. Yeah, it was big in the territories. When you weren't watching on television, all of a sudden, the ref gets turned around, the bad guy throws a goddamn fireball at the good guy's face. Uh, Except Hogan messed it up and instead ended up burning off his own eyebrows. And then Warrior, not a ring general, didn't really know what to do, so he just started punching Hogan. At least he didn't sell. Yeah, at least he didn't act like, oh, a fireball in my face, because that would have been even worse. He does he does look very confused after that. I yeah. um
0: I do really enjoy all the ref violence yeah. in these matches. There's a bunch of Hogan just knocking
1: out the there ref. There is. Oh yeah, um, that brings us to the the, the finish of, of Hogan Warrior where Eric Bischoff comes out, and just puts the ref in a headlock while Hogan's nephew comes in and hits Warrior with a chair, and then Warrior's like dead and Hogan pins him.
2: And so the whole thing with Hogan's nephew was they were doing this storyline, I think, because the NWO... The NWO really was, a, like, a cancer. Like, it kept growing. They kept adding members. And it became so bloated that it, like, didn't really mean anything. And then the storyline was that they won. Like, NWO... Basically. Had, because Bischoff turned out to be a member of the NWO, and he was the guy in charge. So then they were just in charge. And so I think this it's was... Like an, becoming friends with your boss on Facebook. I think this was an attempt to, like kind of make it mean something again but it was very m- much too little too late right
1: oh, poor wcw it was really going good there for a minute do we have any final thoughts
0: before we start wrapping this up i have none this erased my thoughts
1: you know hogan warrior uh, is uh, is an interesting case because it's not really a case where the value was in the actual wrestling a lot of the time it was in the the characters and the build-up
2: And we saw two very uh, different matches, yet two very similar matches. The crazy thing about Hogan is like, we were all sick of him, the babyface shtick, by you know 95 or whenever when he went to WCW, and certainly sick of it by the time he turned heel. The heel thing was great, and then they drove that into the ground so much, like we, we got so much of that, that by the time the Warrior match happened, we were all sick of Hogan all over again. Um, With the heel character
1: Also at this point in the WWF Like Steve Austin was running hot The Rock was coming up They were putting on a really exciting On culture show in 1998 And uh, it was just more
2: compelling I mean I wasn't really watching wrestling then at all
1: Well you didn't like the Attitude Era Like almost at all
2: I mean I like the early Attitude Era The Shawn Michaels Attitude Era not The the Bret Hart Yeah, Until Bret's gone pretty much And then like some of what Foley did in 98 Well Foley's a whole other story
0: Uh, I've been thinking about what I want to do for the next episode, uh, because I want to move away from doing specific wrestlers for a little bit, get into some either some events or some general things. And so I'm going to propose this idea and y'all can veto it if you want, if you feel like it's uh, because I feel like you've referenced that it's been overdone. But. Mm So this is a story that I kind of know because I've heard about it on other podcasts and it's something that you've talked to, that you say that other wrestling podcasts have covered to death but I would like a more in-depth explanation of what it was, what it meant, what led up to it, what the fallout was from it. Can, I you look like you know what I'm talking oh, about. Oh boy. Yes, you
2: you're you're looking to get screwed, Evan. I am. Like, I happening? I would oh, like you boy. to
0: screw me with the knowledge <laughs> or, of the
2: Montreal screw job. Or, Man, well then you're you're screwing yourself. Yeah, Evan, um, you're screwing Evan. Evan Evan's that's, gonna be screwing. That's Evan. pretty
0: much what I do. That's pretty much my whole life up until you want you point. want to
1: talk about the Montreal screw job. We'll get we'll get some material together point you at it and we will should we do uh richter
2: spider rick oh boy as like the other screw job yeah. we'll just do like all screw jobs that's
1: good richter spider well, wait there are multiple screw jobs oh yeah well, wait I, so what
2: all right, right. All, well, right so all right so i'm right. gonna yeah the yeah we're Montreal good, okay.
1: screw job was is the the most Next famous one now week, but yeah
2: prepare to get screwed
1: excellent
0: uh this has been contesting wrestling you should follow us on twitter at contesting w you should go to our Patreon, patreon.com slash contesting wrestling. You, if you give us five bucks a month, you get all kinds of premium content, uh, like watch alongs, bonus episodes, that kind of stuff. Um, or you can give us a dollar a month and uh, just be awesome, and we'll love you for that. And you don't get access to the free stuff, but you get our appreciation. And eventually, if we can quit our day jobs, uh, you'll have a way better podcast and more. Content.
1: Yes, please give us money. Yeah. The more money you give us, the better this show will be.
0: And uh, you can check out my writing at evanburk.biz. Follow me on all social media at burke etc.
1: And uh, once again, my name is Doc fire Follow me on Twitter at Dr. Diamondfire. That's at Dr. Diamondfire. Uh, I'm available for bookings for, you know, ring announcing, commentary, and even wrestling. So follow me
2: and at me, and I'll see you at the shows. I have been and continue to be Dr. Ben Abelson. You can follow me at ScribeBen on Instagram or Twitter. All right. Thank you. This has been Contesting Wrestling.